Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. So here we are. We're week two of a little series uh, called All In, um, and it's got a nice uh, light subtitle there, Understanding Our Complex Relationship with God's Beautiful Messy Church and Its Ambitious, Risky, Insanely Audacious and Preposterous Mission to Reveal His Glory to All the World. Um, <clears throat> just a small little thing, a uh, small little task. And just want to just sort of say in terms of the, the purpose of the series and, and the hope in it, um, it, it really is to, to grapple and to wrestle with, uh, with what we feel about church. There's, in any given room, there's a spectrum of people uh, who uh, have sometimes frustration with uh, the church. Maybe you're here at our church because you didn't like uh, another church. We know there's people who aren't here at our church because they didn't like us or didn't like me. Uh, Christians tend to move around a little bit. Um, that there's uh, excitement about the church. Some of you are radically committed and some of you are like wondering is what is this crazy thing? Uh, how important should it be to my life? What role should it play? And then we all know people and love people who would be looking at the church and say, I don't want anything to do with that. They wouldn't want to even ever darken the door of a church. Um, so it's something that we wrestle with. It's something that we have uh, lots of questions about in terms of our, our level of commitment to it and, and what we believe about it. And the, the purpose in, in, in this series is to just really begin to grapple with uh, not just what we think about church, but to grapple with how God sees church, how God sees community, and hopefully begin to see this uh, crazy, messy, beautiful, missional thing through his eyes uh, more than even we see it through our eyes. Uh, when we look at our church, uh, we look at OVV, we see uh, a lot of different things. You can often just look at church as the things that we do. Um, you, if you want to scroll through our social media, you can you have a good idea of all the things that we're up to. If you go through our Instagram feed, uh, we have OVV Grow. We have Meal Train, where we're out uh, serving people and caring for people who have needs in the community, helping them with meet needs, uh, helping them with food, helping them with various things. Uh, we partner with Compassion Canada to care for kids around the world. We partner with the local food bank to care for people there. We do home churches so that we can go deeper in relationship than we ever do here on Sunday morning. And there's other developing partnerships. Rona will be talking to us in days to come about Safe Families, uh, an organization that does a beautiful job of creating safe homes for uh, displaced kids and, and individuals who are kicked out of their home or whatever and need a local place to come and have a, a warm uh, place to stay and a roof over their heads and food for a little while. It's something uh, that's developing for us. But there's a lot of things that we do and part of what we're trying to do in, in all of that is of course uh, reach the world and care for people and to make a difference out there and part of it is is the reason we it shows up on our social media is we want to invite people into it right we want to invite people to participate with us we want to be a light to the world we want to show all of that <clears throat> so this list of stuff we do and it goes much further we have OVV grow we have uh, kids church we have uh, young adults we have uh, high school youth TBD youth or OVV youth uh, that meets and reaches kids um, on Tuesday nights uh, all through uh, the neighborhood, lots of unchristian kids uh, coming into that. Um, it, apart from the list of stuff we do, um, which is amazing, and the people that we are having do it, and the impact we're doing, it, it's huge, right? But we have passion for more, right? We, we have a passion for more. Amen. Amen. 
right? Uh, one of the things, one of the big struggles uh, for me as a pastor is I, as I look at the complexity of what we do and look at our list of things and ministries and people and leaders and all of that, and I, I see this amazing, big, complex project, but there's still in me a constant, uh, almost a, a dissatisfaction that, that says we should do more. And I know lots of you come to me and say, but we're not doing enough. We have this uh, calling for more. So we have a love-hate relationship with that, don't we? Like we're really excited about this and we love what we're doing and at the same time we we aren't satisfied with it and I think there's a there's a godly dissatisfaction with it. Of course we want to celebrate uh, what God's doing but there's also a longing to be out there and to be connecting more. And at the same time as we want that more we also, how many of you are just really excited about more uh, hours volunteered to the church and more time given to the church and more money given to the church? How many of you are really excited about that? What is wrong with you people? Yeah, we have a few there. Come on, people! Right? Like, we want more. We want to reach more, right? But at the same time, we really, really don't, because it's a lot of work. If we're real about it, if we're honest about it, right? We, we really, really want to grow, and we really, really don't want to grow. We like our nice little church just the way it is. Thank you very much. And what are all you hosers doing here, <laughs> making it not a nice little church anymore? Right? We wrestle with that tension all the time. And we're not just talking about a few more, right? We've talked about this in the spring. We're, we're hoping to reach just 26,000 more. There's 26,000 people in our region that are within easy driving distance of our church that don't have any connection with a spiritual family whatsoever. We don't know which of those are ours to reach, but we want to try to reach them. We want to invite them to encounter Jesus, be transformed, to share his love with us. And we're trying to create a space uh, where that happens, right? That's what we're passionate about. But somehow that isn't enough. That idea of all the programs we do, all the activities we do, Sunday morning worship, uh, just putting that out there as something that you can be involved in as a, as a sort of connecting with yet another volunteer organization, another place to give your time, another place to give your money. That's not really a compelling case for the level of commitment and involvement that I feel the need to call us to. Right? That, 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 that's just not enough. Well, how do we understand this thing the way God understands? How do we understand the church as the thing that Jesus died to bring to life in the world? To see it the way he saw it and to be committed to it the way he was committed to it. So the purpose of this series is to um, sort of make a compelling biblical case for why the church is way more important, worthy of our time, energy, and money uh, than we think. As a challenge in doing a sermon series uh, like that, with that as one of the honest objectives, right? Because you don't want it to be a volunteer sales pitch. I don't want to be giving you a volunteer sales pitch. I don't want to be giving you a giving sales pitch. But I do. I, I really want those things to be things that we, we grow in. I really want those things to be things that we're uh, more and more committed to. But there has to be more than just do it so that you get more people in the room and do it so that you can do more programs. Why, why is this important? And that's the real wrestle. That's the real question. And so we looked last week at Paul's message uh, in 
uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and this is just a brief summary of what we talked about last week. Um, he was, his mission was to preach to the Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan for the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. So Paul's like, there is a really big plan. And, and God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. And that's what Amber read up here earlier during worship. So God wants to make uh, these mysteries known to the whole cosmos, and he wants to do it through you. And the reality is, is that uh, all of it has to come through the church, that you're the mechanism by which uh, his glory and beauty is broadcast to the world. You're how it happens. Uh, we, we have put this slide up last week. The cosmos cannot get what God is giving unless it goes through us. It's a pretty radical statement, right? Through our praises, through our worship, you are the trumpet that God is blowing. You're the note that he is sounding. You're the song that he is singing through. You're the instrument he's playing to reach a lost and dying world and to affect not just the world, not just the people around us, but to affect uh, the spiritual world that, that is unseen. That happens when we praise. That happens when we worship. Uh, when we praise, we are declaring the truths of God into the universe in a much, much bigger way than I think we can imagine. And so the question is, like, what are some of the other images in the scriptures that help us understand that theological, that biblical picture of what the church is and what it means? How do we see it as, as big as it actually is? How do we see it through God's eyes? And the image we looked at last week um, was uh, the image of living stones. If you'll remember, we talked about the temple. Uh, the first metaphor for what the church is is that it's meant to be a temple, the place where God resides on earth, the place where the presence of God is on earth. If you want to go and find the presence of God, go to a community of believers because he resides in the community of believers. And we, as living stones, are people that are being built into that community. We're not just uh, being stones scattered all over our, the place all by ourselves. We're being built into something with structure, something that's an edifice, something that is uh, clearly visible to all to see, and something that is strong and something that endures. So that's the first image, but we didn't really go on to the next part. What goes with a temple? We really only got through the first couple of verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. We talked about us as that uh, spiritual house. We're just going to read the text and continue on and just uh, see what we pick up. It reads like this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual ex sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a royal priesthood. Now, that image, the image of a priest, conjures up a lot of different things. 
uh, for different ones of us. Some of us who went to Sunday school, we remember the Old Testament priests with the tall hat, and you remember the, the uh, ephod with the, uh, the gems on the front, and we remember the bells, the priest who had to go into the temple, uh, into the Holy of Holies with the bells on his garments. You remember that guy? Remember the story? Into the Holy of Holies. He had bells on his garment because if God smote him, then they would uh, know that he was dead because the bells stopped ringing and they could pull him out because they had a rope tied to his ankle. The priest. <laughs> it's a really exciting evocation, really exciting image to associate with it. Or maybe priest for you is not a biblical image at all. Maybe priest for you is uh, different. You've come from a Roman Catholic background. Uh, maybe you watched Sister Act in the 80s. Uh, maybe it could be any number of different things. Or it could be from the movies. Every priest in a movie is like a really creepy bad guy. It could be, it could be like, right? It could be Silas uh, from uh, what's... Uh, with Tom Hanks, right? The Da Vinci Code. Maybe that's what a priest is to you. So it's just a crazy image to think about in terms of from our modern culture to say, hey, guess what? You guys are all priests. And you guys are like, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> like, that's a terrible image uh, based on what's, what we have in our culture, what we're thinking. Maybe some of you grew up in really conservative evangelical settings where when you hear the word Roman Catholic, uh, you have really, really negative associations. You were taught uh, about that. Some of you sort of grew up uh, with that. And so I try to think, what's a great image for us to really understand priesthood? And I found this guy. I just uh, Googled cool priest. <laughs> <laughs> And so he's the coolest priest I could find on the internet. I don't know. I don't know who he is, but but uh, he's a cool priest. And so uh, you guys are gonna all we're gonna talk about how you guys are really cool priests, if that's okay. <laughs> you guys are gonna be like hip cool priests. So that's that's this guy. And so the question really though is like, what does what is what is Peter getting at? What does it really mean for us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation? And really to just do it, we've just got to unpack the text and see how the scripture reads itself. And just, just a note on that, like if, if you're wrestling with things like that in the scriptures, just read more scripture. In terms of hermeneutic, in terms of how you interpret the Bible, the Bible interprets the Bible. Uh, much better than a commentary, much better than me, uh, that this book is just so beautiful and so informative and so rich that all of the understanding... Uh, is in it. So just encourage you, just read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. It feels like in, in a couple of areas of my life, I'm in a fight for the authority of scriptures. And I just want to say to you guys, I believe in the authority of scriptures. We hold this up as everything that we need for faith and practice and life to do what we're called to do. The Bible is the thing, the written word of God. And God speaks to us in, in, uh, through, through illuminating it. He speaks to us prophetically and all of that. But all of it uh, centers on the scriptures, the written word of God that's given to us. So just a little side note there. But let's read our text. I'm sorry I don't have the reference there, but it's uh, 2 Peter 2, um, verse 6. And I'm going to skip to 9. I'm going to skip a section that we really covered last week. But uh, this is Peter uh, talking to the church. And again, he's talking to a church that is uh, really under duress. They're uh, being persecuted at this moment in history. They're in, in the middle of a really difficult time. And he's helping them understand what their role is, what their purpose in society is, why God's called them together. And he says this, you're called to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And skips to verse 9, and we skip all the piece about uh, more about the living stones, about Jesus as the cornerstone. We talked about that last week, and we jump to verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
people for his own possession. And so when you look at that bit that's highlighted up there in the yellow, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Uh, that's not just something that Peter wrote by himself to that the church that he was writing to. That's actually something uh, that we see in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. Uh, it's constructed this way uh, in, in the Old Testament, but it contains the same elements. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then chosen out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what we're talking about, for, first of all, is something that didn't just start with uh, Peter. It just didn't start with the New Testament. It didn't start with Jesus. That we're actually the continuation of something uh, that God was trying to do in the earth uh, from the very beginning. And you can trace that even further back to Melchizedek and his interaction with Abraham. And you can trace that back to the garden. We did that again really briefly uh, last week. But what we're called to do as a church is to be an extension of something that's been happening in the world uh, for a long, long time. And uh, this passage in Exodus 19 is what we see in the scriptures immediately after Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, just 50 days after uh, they'd crossed over uh, out of the Red Sea and were wandering uh, through the wilderness. Um, and they'd come to Mount Sinai uh, and they had gathered there. And Moses goes up the mountain, he brings down uh, the Ten Commandments in the beginning of the law uh, as it's written. And in this moment, uh, as Moses is about to give them the law, he says this. He says, you are chosen out of all nations, my treasured possession, uh, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so we stand uh, not just with Peter, but we stand all the way back with uh, Moses and we stand all the way back with Abraham as uh, something that God's been building in the earth to be a representation of him to the planet uh, that's meant to endure for a long, long time, and it has endured for a long, long time. So this is a big thing. But what does priesthood mean? How do we understand what that is? What do we understand about it in the scriptures? And there's really two elements to it that are in this text. Uh, first is uh, we are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the first little bit that we see in verse uh, 6. And, and what's important to unpack is that first word, holy. So, because when Peter's writing, he first says holy priesthood, and then in the second part, he says a royal priesthood. He uses very different words for it, and those different words actually have significance. They actually have meaning. He's not just, uh, you know, sometimes, did any of you write papers when you were in, in high school, and you're like, man, I've used the word uh, whatever, like, so many times. I just have to think of another word that sort of means the same thing and plug it in there so my paper isn't boring and repetitive. Have you ever done that? That's not what Peter's doing, right? Peter's using these words intentional, right? Intentionally. Like if you use the word intentionally too much, you know, you have to think of another word to replace intentionally, like purposefully. But Peter's not doing that. Uh, he is intentionally and purposefully uh, using uh, the word holy and royal in an importantly uh, significant and different way. So at first he's talking about a holy pre... <laughs> Lord have mercy. Okay. <laughs> so we got an English teacher or two in the house, so I'm in trouble. Um, so we're called to be a holy priesthood. Well, that word holy is a Greek word that's a uh, hagon, which means uh, it means separate and distinct and set apart to God. So you are a separate and distinct priesthood set apart to God. 
And then the, the, what's expressed there is that uh, you're to offer spiritual ex sacrifices acceptable to God, right? So there's a, an inward uh, drawing. There's a, a, an upward ministry. There's a vertical ministry. There's a ministry that is... Um, intended to be a gathering, intended to be a taking of the community of God and, and locking it into something that is separate from the world, that is distinct from the world, that is holy and that is set apart. Right? And then he uses this phrase, a royal priesthood. And that word in the Greek uh, signifies a kingly leadership over people and a responsibility to people. Uh, and, and ultimately, a holy nation for his possession to proclaim something, to proclaim his excellencies. So we have a really weird dynamic in priesthood, don't we? In priesthood, we are called inward. We are called uh, to holiness. We are called to separateness. And the purpose for which we are called to separateness is for something outside that which we're together with. We are called inward for something outward. And that's a really weird tension. Right? What a priest is, uh, is somebody who is there to take the, uh, the issues, take the concerns, take the cares, take the stuff of the people, and present all of that before God. And then take the word of God and the things that God is speaking back to the people and, and present it to them. And so the priestly role is something that has a hand here and has a hand here and is really intention holding two things together. And that's what we're called to do as a church. Uh, we see it, um, <clears throat> well, maybe we could just unpack it in one, uh, one side at a time. The holy priesthood or the inward side, oh, in the Old Testament context, and some of this is just from reading um, Numbers uh, chapter 18 and, uh, and a fair bit of, uh, of content through Exodus as well, as the priesthood is being established, uh, the priests are called to be holy, uh, to offer thanks to God, to offer petition, to offer intercession, to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, right? So the priests are called to do this ministry that is to God. The New Testament equivalents of those are uh, to be obedient to Christ, to worship in spirit and truth, what we do here on Sunday morning, to do prayer and intercession, which is something that is uh, is something that I don't think we do very well. I feel some conviction about that as we as I, as I went through this message, um, and uh, and living sacrifices in the pattern of Jesus. Right, we're not offering sacrifices, sheep or goats or anything like that to serve people anymore. But we're actually in the same way that Jesus offered his life. Uh, we offer our lives. Right. So there's this uh, upward inward ministry that is focused on God. These things are things that kind of separate us from the world and make us distinct. And if you look at the context in, in 1 Peter, uh, what he's saying after that is, uh, you know, you really need to uh, put aside sin. You really need to put aside uh, your brokenness. You really need to put aside all of that and begin to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. And so there's a call to holiness for this church that's under duress. And then at the same time, uh, we look at this royal priesthood side and we see that there's an outward role of the priests, right? Uh, care for the Lord's house, teach the law, care for the poor and the sick, uh, call people to make sacrifice, 
and to be reconciled to God, right? So the priests were where you went for healing. Uh, the priests were uh, the people who were there to care for the temple and make sure that uh, it was in, in good condition. Our equivalent of that is to facilitate the gathering of the people, right? We facilitate Sunday mornings. We set up the sound gear. Uh, we set up the chairs. We make the coffee. We care for the kids. There's a caring for the house of the Lord that's important. There's this teaching of the law and this teaching of the word piece that's important. Uh, there's this care for the poor and sick. And, and, and in our New Testament context, it's, of course, all of the medical side and the care, care for the, the broken and the care for um, people who have physical needs. It's why we do meal train. But it's also why we lay hands on the sick and we anoint them with oil and we pray for them. Uh, in the same way that there's priestly authority for that, there's priestly authority on the church uh, to, uh, to heal the sick. That's why it says when anyone is sick, you should call the elders of the church and the elders will anoint them with oil and the sick person will be made well, right? There's a, a priestly role for leadership in the church. It's an outward role. Uh, there's the preaching of the gospel, um, where in the Old Testament it was like, call people to come and make sacrifice, bring your sheep and your goats, let the priest kill them, we'll put them on the altar and God will deal with your sins. We now say there was somebody who was put on the altar, on the cross, who died for you, who died for your sins, come and receive life from him. Jesus. So we point uh, towards that. And so there's this incredible um, ministry that we have. There's this incredible ministry that you have. Does it feel like, feel like a lot of responsibility? Right? We could spend, we could do a sermon series on each of these priestly roles and just do a sermon series just on this, right? We're just blasting through a ton of material really fast. But there's a lot that we're called to. And there's a lot that we're called to be as a church. And there's a real tension in that between uh, the inward and the outward in us. Right? There's some of you that are uh, frustrated with church because you say, um, man, we go to church every Sunday, we're doing all of this, but we're not doing anything to care for the poor. Uh, we're not really doing anything for people that are sick. It feels like we're just not reaching out to people and caring for them the way we ought to. Right? We're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Right? And that's the way a lot of us feel. And there's some of us that feel on the other side, like, man, my life is just so full of busyness and so full of serving and volunteering here and volunteering there and giving money and all that. I just want to come to a place uh, where I can connect with God and worship and pray. Like, you guys are all so earthly-minded, you're no heavenly good. <laughs> right? Right? And there's both, both of those groups are in this church, in this community right? The reality is, though, is it has to be a both end. We have to be heavenly minded and earthly good. <laughs> and so wherever you are in terms of where you think that we need to grow and we need to learn as a church, the opposite is probably the place where you personally need to grow and learn, right? <laughs> if you think we're all so no earthly good, and you're just so, we're just so heavenly minded, then you probably need to get a little heavenly minded along with your earthly good. <laughs> and we begin to balance these things out and value these things because both of these things are absolutely the role of the priesthood. 
And so many times we've seen stories, story after story, partly in the leadership scene in Vineyard Canada and other places where you see a tension between those two areas of, of emphasis and those two areas of giftedness, where, where the ones, ones who want to reach out are, are constantly battling with the ones who want to reach up, and the ones who want to reach up are battling with the ones who want to reach out. And I just want to say that's not really a tension that we uh, want to resolve. We just want to allow that tension to cause us to do both things and do it better and better all the time. Right? And so for OVV, when I look at us, I say, man, we need to put things in place that help us tangibly care for the lost and the broken in a new way because we haven't been doing that in a way that we ought to. We're missing something there. And I look at OVV and say, we're doing all of this gathering on Sunday morning and we're doing worship, but we are not coming anywhere close to worshiping with our whole hearts and we barely ever even pray. We stink. <laughs> right? So let's just, can we just say this together? We stink. <laughs> right? We stink. We don't actually stink. I think God is actually quite pleased with us, but we have somewhere to grow. We all have somewhere to grow. There's a call uh, to pursue these things all together. And some of us will be in the room and we'll be like, man, I hardly even think of any of this stuff. Uh, I need to just begin to step into some of it. Like, I'm not even sure I'm committed to Jesus yet. And begin to take steps. And some of us are like in deep and we're like drowning underneath it. Like, we feel like there's so much responsibility and so much to do. And we just need to call everybody together to just begin to move towards this goal of being a community that passionately reaches out to God on behalf of our nation and at the same time passionately reaches out to our nation and calls them to God. We begin, I, I, I resisted putting the, the classic meme uh, on, the, uh, on the slide with Chris Evans, Avengers, uh, Captain America holding the helicopter and holding the building. <laughs> But that's what it's about. We've got to hold on to both of these things and just not let go. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, where you're uh, heavenly minded or earthly minded, you've got to just hold together and pull together and begin to fulfill this role that we have as priests in the world to make a difference, to make a difference. And, and what I want to say about that, you know, and, and it's just, again, it's coming out of the text that this is something that we're chosen for. Right, this this whole we've avoided this uh, subject in in First Peter, but this is one of the major texts that's argued back and forth around the Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, but what we can definitely take from it is that this calling to ministry, this calling to be God's priests, God's holy nation in the world, is something that He has chosen you for. It's something that he's absolutely chosen you for. He has looked out across the earth, and we can just understand it in a very basic way from just a plain reading of the text, that he looked out across the earth and he said, Dane, you, you are a priest, Dane. Harley, you're a priest. Morgane, you're a priest. Mark, Beth, you're priests. I've chosen you for this ministry to the world. Rachel, Jamie, Jim, I've chosen you for this ministry. I've called you to be part of this community. 
And we can uh, wrestle, I mean, looking at the text here, uh, again, I'm jumping back to that little piece just to let you know like how important this idea of chosenness is um, in the text. You know, he's talking about the stone that makes them stumble. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. What Peter is doing is he's really making it clear that God has something to do with who's chosen and who's not chosen, that there's some role in that. And so we're not going to resolve Calvinism and Ar Arminianism here uh, in this topic, but what I want to do is just really briefly present the paradox for you. Um, so we have in the scripture the idea that um, we follow God, we can choose God, that we look and there's a door waiting for us and you can choose and Jesus is calling you and saying, enter the door. And the door says, whosoever will may come that we are called, that we are invited to follow Jesus with our whole lives and that our choices, that our decisions matter. So you can imagine your life of following Jesus or your initial choice to follow Jesus is standing before a door and hearing the Lord said, come, I want you to come, choose me, choose me, come and follow me. And when you step through the door and look back at what's written on it from the inside, you see this. You are a chosen people. It's not a satisfying uh, end to the argument by any stretch, but we can hold this paradox up that you choose God, that your choices matter, that your choice to follow him matters. And at the same time, he has chosen you. He has called you to this. And what God calls and those whom God calls, those whom God appoints, those whom God choose, he empowers. You're empowered for this. And this is one of the incredible, uh, the, just to give you the depth that Peter was writing at, when he cites this passage in Exodus chapter 19, um, it says he's, he's citing this whole thing um, that, that happened at the beginning. Passage Exodus 19 begins with uh, this uh, incredible little verse, and it says, Three months and a few days had passed. And three months and a few days since they uh, came out of the, uh, the Holy Land. And what we know from calculating all that is that those were sort of 50 days that had happened in terms of the way they calculated time. And that what happened, what Pentecost celebrates is the giving of the law, right? The Pentecost celebrates the giving of the law. That's what happened uh, in the ancient story in Exodus. So when Peter points back to Exodus and says, hey, I'm quoting this thing that's back to the giving of the law, the beginning of the priesthood, the anointing of the priesthood, the selection of the priesthood, the choosing of the priests. Peter also was there in Acts chapter 2 when they were waiting in the upper room in Pentecost when God chose the new priests by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right. They were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You are anointed as priests by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your lives. 
You are empowered to be what he's called you to be. You are gifted to be what he's called you to be. He hasn't called you to these crazy tasks that we listed a couple of slides ago and said, hey, just figure it out. He's gifted you for that. Some of you have gifts of prophecy. Some of you have gifts of tongues and intercession and prayer that you haven't exercised yet. Because we just don't know how rich we are. We don't know how abundantly God has poured out his spirit to make this thing happen. We feel so often alone and weak. But you are not alone and you are not weak. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're called and empowered to do this mission. That's sort of part of the purpose in this series is to lay a really strong biblical foundation for what we're going to do in January with our spiritual gift series. To understand that there's a calling on us, that there's a responsibility, that there's a mission. Then to begin to think about how we're actually empowered to do the stuff that we're called to do. He has gifts for you that you don't know that you even have yet. He has anointing for you that you don't know you have. He is empowering for you that you don't know you have. And as we activate those gifts and begin to walk in them, we're going to see the church be not just a priesthood in name, but an empowered community that will change the world. That's who we're meant to be. And we're going to figure it out together. The next thought as the text continues is that you are proclaiming something marvelous. You are a people for his own possession. Uh, I could spend some time unpacking that word possession, but we won't. But, but like really owned by God, kept by him, treasured by him, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now there's some things implicit in that text. Um, we are called one to proclaim the excellencies of him, but we're not called to proclaim the excellencies of him from the darkness to the darkness. We're called into community and into the light, and it's with our feet firmly planted in community that we're called to do the mission. And so often we feel, and, and this is something that I hear teens say uh, all the time, or I did, especially when I was in Toronto with, uh, with some, with, uh, in, in youth ministry, is that, man, I just, if I really get out of this lifestyle that I'm in, I'm going to lose touch with all my friends, and I'm just not going to be able to reach anybody. Like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> right? We come to a place of health. We come to a place of light. Jesus sets us free into a place of beauty and holiness. The call to holiness and the call to separateness is not something that fights against the mission. The call to holiness that's on us as a church is something that is the foundation from which we can do the mission. And if you think getting more in touch with loving God and being more of a radical worshiper of God is going to hurt your ministry to people, you're completely wrong. The more you know God, the more you serve him, the more you worship him, the more passionately you follow him as a priest, the more holy you live walking with him, the more powerful and the more authority with which you'll minister to the lost and the more clearly the light of God will shine through you. 
don't hold back on the holiness and the call to the person of God because you think it somehow is going to keep you uh, more relevant. Be irrelevant. And your irrelevance will make you more relevant. People will be drawn. You proclaim the light into the darkness while standing in the light. Of course, in the incarnation, there is a humility and there is grace and there is a connectedness that comes with our friends that are in a lost and dying world, but we do not have to compromise. And that's the beauty of Jesus, right? He was incarnate in his culture, but absolutely holy with absolute purity and no compromise in him whatsoever. He stood in the light, firmly planted in the light and shone in the darkest places. And that's who we're meant to be. Mission happens from within community. And just this last piece from the text. Uh, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are not you anymore. You are not you singular anymore. When you walk into a room of your lost friends, you are a walking in as a people. When you high school student are walking alone through the halls of your school and you're trying to pray and you're hoping that you can somehow reach someone and you feel like you're under attack, you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're under uh, duress, remember that when you're walking through the halls of your high school, you are not walking as you. You are walking as a people. You are a walking people. And you have a community that is with you and that is behind you and that you are deeply spiritually connected to whether you can see those lines of connectedness or not. You are not a single priest out on mission anywhere. You are a priesthood. You are a people. And that might be in your workplace, that might be at university, that might be at high school, that might be wherever you are. You are not going there alone. You are going in community. And just an encouragement to you, if you feel like you are a missionary, find the other missionaries in your community so that you can physically, tangibly be a people in your workplace. Find the other Christians, have lunch with them. Don't ignore the other Christian kids in your high school. Build that community, build that place where you can stand together on the light and proclaim light to the darkness. Don't do it by yourself. You don't have to do it by yourself do it as community. That's what the text calls you to, and that's what your identity is to be rooted in. And and this word is just really, really clear. Like, you were not a people, a people, but now you are. You are a people. Your identity is found in the body of Christ. You are part of a body. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the body. You are a body connected the hand connected to the elbow, connected to the arm, connected to the shoulder. You're not anywhere by yourself. Let's stand. Lord, we have uh, we have a love-hate relationship with this church thing. There's a way in which, if we're honest, Father, we, we confess 
and, and we confess with repentance in our hearts that we would like to keep this thing at bay. We would like to keep your church to be just this small little part of our life that we can turn on and turn off at will. Um, we can visit it like a little country club or we can uh, visit our, our ministers like they're um, some kind of spiritual fitness coaches. Uh, we, we wish we could do that sort of God, but it's just too small for us. It's too small for you. It doesn't reflect what you've talked about in the scriptures. We don't want to go to church. We want to be the church. We don't want to attend your church, God. We want to be your church. We uh, don't know exactly what this means or where it will take us as individuals or corporately, Father, but we want to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be priests to be passionate advocates for the people before the throne of God and to be passionate advocates for you before the people. And we want to live in the tension of that. We want to be torn by that. We don't want to resolve it on one side or the other. We want to be passionately holy and passionately relevant. We want to stand in the light and proclaim your excellencies out into the darkness and call others into the light. Would you let our church be uh, a proclamation of your excellencies to our community? Would you just let that sense of anointing that calledness, that separateness, rest on us so that we can be confident enough to go out with it. For those who have been here and they felt like they're uh, maybe been outside the church, they haven't really belonged like they've felt like they wanted to belong. They haven't known that they're part of something or they've just been independent. Would you give people a tangible sense of connectedness to not just our body, but to every church in this region and around the world? Would we feel ourselves as a two billion strong? Would you cause there to be faith and confidence in that that rises up in us? That we wouldn't feel small that we would know uh, with every fiber of our being that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Let revival come. Let your church rise up. something the Holy Spirit's doing in this moment. There's some of you that he's consecrating. Some of you that he's consecrating. 
Some of you that have had your, uh, your lives, your hands, your bodies in, in, in unholy places. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's um, other, other forms of wickedness, but your lives have been uh, under that. And the Lord is saying to you, be consecrated, be holy for I am holy. Be set apart. Just repent before the Lord, just offer that to him. Father, release your gifts. Father, bless this holy priesthood. Bless this royal priesthood. Bless these chosen ones. Bless this holy nation. Bless these, your treasured possession. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.